<coughs> Welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, today our guests are, um, we have Ann Wilson, who's the Executive Director of Batesville Community Educational Foundation, and we have Ashley Walls, who is the Vice President uh, of the Batesville Community Educational Foundation. So, uh, uh, welcome to my podcast. Thanks so Thank much you. for having us, Larry. Okay, well, we're going to start off with, uh, you know, since this isn't just a local thing, we're going to start off uh, where you were born, grade school, high school. I asked a couple questions, and I'll switch to Ashley. So, Ann, where were you born? I was born in Batesville, Batesville native. Um, we lived on South Park Avenue in Batesville when I was little. Um, I went to St. Louis School and then to Oldenburg School for one year, and then went to the middle school and graduated from Batesville High School in 1982, and then went on to be an honors graduate um, from Butler University in communications. Oh, great, great, okay. Ashley? Um, I'm born and raised in Batesville as well. I graduated in 2005. Um, I, once I finished high school, I went into the workforce, tried to figure out what exactly it was I was wanting to do, and landed in real estate. Real estate, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, local company, obviously. Yes, I'm with Bring It On Homes Realty here in Batesville. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. And uh, when you went to Butler for communications, mm -hmm. Were you planning on going into radio or TV? I, well, actually, I started out as a business administration major, and after about a semester and a half said, hmm, this is not for me. It's really an interesting story. Um, when I was at the high school, um, the Hillenbrand family had um, a rotating guest speaker Series. I don't know if you remember that, Larry. And one of the people that came when I was in high school was William F. Buckley Jr. And they had a little competition of students who would um, wanted to interview him, and I actually won. And so I had a chance to meet him, and it made a really big impact on me. And at the time, I didn't think I wanted to go into communications and writing, but then when I realized that business was like not my favorite thing. Um, I had a really great journalism professor at Butler who encouraged me. And so the major at that time really did involve um, journalism, communication classes, radio, TV, and English. And also business administration as sort of a minor. So it was all the things that I loved. Um, after I graduated from Butler, I worked in state government. I worked for the Indiana Secretary of State as his deputy press secretary for a while. I worked um, in press for the Indiana theater and then when my husband graduated from law school we moved back to the Batesville area and I worked at Hillrom as their communications person for several years until I really quit to have my children and we had six children so I was at home for a while um, got back into some freelance writing work and then um, really kind of fell into the job at the Education Foundation it combined everything that I loved which was just a love of learning and then um, just the communications and public relations parts of it. Well, with your freelance writing, what what have you done with that? So I did a lot of reading, uh, writing for a Catholic um, periodicals. I have a couple articles that were um, published in Catholic Update. I did one on Mother Teresa, which was very impactful to me. Um, and then also just did some kind of freelance 
um, work where you pick up a, a job that's advertised and you can do that. Um, but it was really fun for me. I really enjoyed that. In fact, I still do that on the side. So um, I actually do um, all of the public relations for the school corporation as a freelance job because my job at the Education Foundation is uh, part-time. Yeah. Is, there, is there a book in the future? Well, I always say there's a book somewhere in there because with six children, you can imagine that we have stories to tell. Wow, do we have stories to tell. Um, so I would love to write a book, but right now I literally just do not have the time. Well, I, I did too. And if I ever do another one, I hope something falls out of the sky and hits me. <laughs> I have that's lots a, of ideas, but I just that, can't. That I, is the hardest thing I've ever done in my yeah, life. I, I love writing, but I think writing like a novel or, or even like some sort of autobiography or whatever, um, I think that would become very difficult for me. I really like writing about factual things, which is why I love doing like public relations pieces. You give me the pieces of what you want to do. And to me, it's just this big puzzle. And I like to consider myself a storyteller, which again is really fun with the Education Foundation because we do have stories to tell about what we want to do in the schools. And so I'd love to just take all of the pieces and then put them together in the right order and then have a finished product that says, this tells a person a story from the beginning to the end. Okay. Ashley, mm -hmm. when did you decide you wanted, when you were growing up, I'm sure you're going to say, boy, I can't wait till I grow up and get in real estate. <laughs> so, That's a dream. What, so what was your original ambitions, grade school, high school? Um, so I had the original dream, like most kids, teacher, doctor, those were the kind of things that I wanted to do. Um, as I got older... I just knew that I wanted to help people in some way, but I wasn't sure how I wanted to do yeah. that. Um, and so I just did a couple of different things. I worked in a daycare setting, loved that, loved working with the kids. Um, and then I got into sales and I was doing security sales. And I looked at that as not as I was selling something to these people, but I was helping them feel protected in their homes. Like um, ADT. Right. Yeah. ADT security systems. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I was, I was helping them to feel protected. Um, but in that time is when all of the shows started coming on HGTV and things like that. And I was like, huh, that's interesting i enjoy i enjoy watching and now of course being in real estate i look at people and say it's nothing like what you see on tv <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> way different um but in that i also got to fulfill that helping people um because i'm just you know helping them find their forever or their next step or through a hard situation and so i never look at it as a sales type of position mm -hmm. it's just doing and then that also plays a role into the other things that i do like with the community education foundation i just want to help any way that i can mm -hmm. So, um, how are the crazy interest rates affecting you? <laughs> oh, they're affecting things. Yeah. Um, it, it was fine for a little while. I was really busy this summer. Um, things were pretty consistent. <clears throat> I was fortunate because some people weren't able to say that. But it slowed down quite a bit. And I think what I tell a lot of people is, you know, we had those lock in at the 2 to 3%. A lot of those people, unless they have to, to sell or buy, you know, they're probably going to stay put for a little while. So that's making things really mm -hmm. difficult with inventory being the way that it is. Um, we do have new buyers that are getting into the market every day because they don't know any different. They didn't see those 2 to 3% rates. Uh, so they, they see these seven and a half and they're like, well, it is what it is. We'll refinance when we can. But inventory is tough. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, 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 inventory is low all mm -hmm. over. It and, is. Yeah. So, and the thing is, uh, most...
other than the big cities, you don't see a lot of building going on. Right. And uh, I and I think some of the contractors, they, they're more interested in building apartments because mm-hmm. not everybody wants a house now. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've seen um, more of the townhomes, uh, apartment buildings going up recently. And we do have, you know, some of the subdivisions that are building on and some of those builders, uh, the, the local builders that we have, a lot of them are just so booked up that yeah. it's it's hard to, and, to keep things moving. <laughs> and the prices of lumber yeah. and everything. Yeah. Just, it's just crazy. It's all expensive. Uh, I, I, I think about when we built our home, that was we started in '75. They gave them a year to build, but uh, the cost of things today mm-hmm. are, are just unbelievable. Yes, yeah. and I, I always tell my sellers like you're very fortunate. You you're in a great position. You're probably going to make a hefty profit as you sell. But to those that are buying, I feel terrible for them because. You know, they're they're looking for certain things that maybe a few years ago would have been priced a lot less than what it is now. And so they're really having to reconfigure what they're wanting, what they're willing to, you know, to budget for and what they can actually afford. Yeah. Well, and, and the wages haven't kept up with the interest. Right. So, I, yeah, mean, that's, uh, I mean, the average wage, mm-hmm. put it that way. So... When did you get involved with the foundation? I've been involved with the foundation. I'm going going on four years. I think so. Yeah, going on four years now. I have three kids. Um, so I wanted to, like I said, get involved and help in any way that I could. Um, I went to a meeting and sat through, you know, a, a board meeting, and I was like, okay, I think this is something. You were talking about um, Bulldogs Connect at that time. We were. And it was just such an innovative, cool thing. And I was like, this is something that I can get on board with. My kids are young, um, and so what we're doing is really having an impact on them for the future, mm-hmm. for the long run, and it's a really cool thing. Okay. How long have you been involved? I that? have been there. This is my ninth year. It seems incredible to me. It's been my ninth year. I about didn't it. even know it was Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, the Education Foundation actually was founded in 2007, and oh. um, I honestly didn't really even know they existed until I saw the advertisement for the executive director position. There was um, one part-time director before me. She was in the position about 18 months, and before that it was all just volunteer board run. Um, and so, yeah, this is my ninth year. Uh, we have grown incredibly in the amount of programming that we provide, in the dollars that we have donated. Um, just every time that we see a need, we try to step back and say, is that something we can do? And honestly, sometimes it's like, okay, we can't mm-hmm. um, because we are not in the position of either having a full-time director or even adding an additional staff member at this time. But I have 17 board members and it's a working board. So mm-hmm. my board members act as like part-time program directors and volunteer um hours we had our first annual bulldog pup rally if you catch that little (laughs) phrase there um, last friday on homecoming between the parade and the game we had um, food trucks and kids activities just a fun place for people to kind of pass through on the way from the parade to the game it was highly successful i mean we had a really great turnout Um, so we just tried to do a lot of connectivity um, programs. So Ashley um, mentioned Bulldogs Connect. So that's sort of our connecting Bulldogs program. So it's got a lot of different levels there. Um, One of them is that we do career um, mentor matching for our high school students if they have a particular field interest 
and don't know who to talk to, we have a database of volunteers who are willing to talk to them. Um, last year we had um, a student who graduated who reached out to me in the fall of his senior year and said, I think I might want to be an electrician, but I really just don't even know what that is. And I posted on social media and by the end of the day I had 15 different alum who said we'll be willing to talk to him and he ended up that's what he's pursuing. So we will do that on a very personal basis. So we'll do that. Um, tonight I'm actually going to the high school. They're having senior night and we also provide essay writing help for students who think they want to go to college. So I have volunteers that will say you know, what, what's your essay look like for college applications or scholarships and give them some pointers. So we do that. Um, something we started just last year is another part of the Bulldogs Connect program where we connect new families in the Batesville Community School Corporation to established families so they have somebody to talk to. So, you know, the kids make friends at school. But we kept saying, what if you come from out of town and, you know, this is Batesville, everyone knows each other, but what if I don't know anybody? And how do I find out about the archery program? And how do I know what kind of extracurriculars there are? Or what time does the bus come? Or what's that bus driver? What's that teacher like? So we, again, have a program online where people can say, I need help or I'm willing to help. And then we match people with incoming families. Um, and then again, the Bulldog Pup Rally was sort of our Bulldogs Connect. We're trying to build more community spirit within the Batesville Community School Corporation. And again, it was not a fundraiser for us. We like to call it a friend raiser, right? <laughs> it was like, you know, here's what the Education Foundation does. It's just something fun for people to do. So Bulldogs Connect is just one of our programs. Um, there's just a lot more we can talk well, about, Larry. <laughs> well, Wendy was the electrician. Did he have the opportunity to shadow someone? Then? I think he did. So we kind of what we like to do, since it's you know just myself and my board members, that I try to connect the student with these professionals, and then it's really up to them to determine how far they want to go. Do they just want to meet with them up at they meet Amixwell or whatever and talk about what's your life like, you know, in general? Do they want to shadow them? So that's the other thing we try to do is encourage the students to sort of take ownership like we're not going to walk them through all this we'll provide the uh, the ability to connect with someone and then it's up to them of how yeah. far they want to take it because yeah, my one grandson he's a senior at mississippi state this year majoring in communications fortunately or fortunate enough he was able uh, to shadow a reporter at Channel 19 in Cincinnati this year. Right, so th the other thing that we do kind of, this is a different part, <laughs> different program, but um, we have a job fair at the high school every year. So we have uh, this year 43 different businesses, including you, Larry, by the way, <laughs> who are our um, community sponsors and they come to the high school one day and the students can come through and ask them questions. And so it gives them the opportunity to ask things like, you know, one of the biggest questions the students have is how much am I gonna make, right? or yeah. what are the hours like but then there there are ways for the students to connect with these employers and ask questions and maybe do more of a job shadow because i think we all know um that you really have to see what a job is really like before yeah. you you decide i don't know how many students i know that said they thought they wanted to go into health care mm -hmm. until they did the mentorship at the hospital and they're like <laughs> whoa not for me <laughs> so yeah yes my oldest daughter uh thought she wanted to be a nurse until she passed out in the delivery room. Exactly. That's why she's had a language department. I think that would have been my issue. Right. So we're trying to help 
parents and families yeah. too. Like we don't want them to spend the money on future education for something that a child really doesn't want. Mm-hmm. So we try to augment what the high school's already doing because the mm-hmm. high school does. They have mentorship. They have co-op programs. But if there's anything that a student is interested in, and we had a student, um, another success story was a student, I believe it was a year, year and a half ago, that um, this was after like the whole we were coming back from COVID or whatever else, and she really thought she wanted to be a veterinarian, and she couldn't find anybody that would let her shadow because of the whole, you know, difficulty getting into places in person and I finally reached out and it wasn't an alum of Batesville but I knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody and using those connections and I found somebody who was willing to have them have her come in and she said it made a world of difference so we always like to say with our programs although we like to impact as many students as we can if we have one program that impacts one student in a meaningful way we're all about that oh absolutely Mm -hmm. and and you know the, the the thing is uh, there are so many opportunities in this country, and uh, I, you know, when when uh, we were my wife and I, when we were younger, there was a totally different atmosphere because when the wife got pregnant about seven months, her work career was over. It was a single income family, mm-hmm. and today. It's a busier society. Mm-hmm. Two people work all the time. And, you know, sometimes uh, I think with the the working, the, with two people working in a family, sometimes they're so tired that they maybe don't spend enough time with the kids as far as what do you want to do in life. And, you know, they just don't have the time to do that. That was something that was kind of important to me, and one of the reasons I ventured away from the corporate world with the ADT sales and tried to do something where I had a little bit more control of my schedule in real estate. Um, I say a little more control, and that's yeah. not as true that's as funny, I had originally Ashley. thought. I but, like that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I was able to, um, at the time that I got into real estate, I had two little ones. My I just had my second little girl, um, and I was thinking, how can I be involved with my kids and also still provide for my family and give us, you know, the life that we want. And real estate's really um, opened up that that door for me to be able to do so. I think it's important that my kids are with me. They've not been in daycare unless I was working at the daycare they were in. And so... They've gone on showings with me. They know all about <laughs> all yeah. about real estate and how that works. Her girls and are very sweet. They good. they do like little guest experience. Yeah, they do appearances on Ashley's little Facebook page. Well, it's and I try fun. to get them involved with things that I'm involved with too. So they were at the pup rally because I want to show them, you know, the importance of serving and giving back and um, and doing good within this world. <laughs> well, you know, our first six are eight years apart. Mm-hmm. And the last one's four years after that. But, uh, and I often wondered because I was really, I was in business for 53 years and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how Nancy ever did it, mm-hmm. seriously. It's a balance and it's one that I think you're always striving for and trying to find and you never quite feel, yeah. <laughs> never quite I, feel balanced. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, my, our oldest three, um, are married and have their own families and I have one in a PhD program out in Seattle and one graduating from Purdue and then our youngest um, is really the caboose he's six years Mm -hmm. younger than the rest of them and he's a high school sophomore and it 
no matter how many kids you have, I think it's always a struggle to try to balance and figure out what's the best thing for them. And I think that that's one thing that we really try to step in and do at the Education Foundation is that, you know, let's just be honest, not everybody has the same ability um, or time to be really actively involved in their child's mm -hmm. education. And so we try to provide the programs that give the students who really need that little extra help, somebody that takes an interest in them, for example, for the career mentorship thing or the workforce development things that we do, or a lot of the other things that we provide for the school system. Like We like to say that if the Education Foundation can provide that opportunity for a student that doesn't have a family that's involved for whatever reason, like we like to try to be that safety net. And so, like again, for me, very, very personal. Mm -hmm. um, personal mission um, one of the things that we've really kind of embarked on sort of on a whim but then has become our signature project in 2017 was our very first annual campaign and um, at the time the school system was just started sort of starting with their flexible learning pieces and I'm not, I'm not sure if you're aware of what those are Larry but they're different desks and chairs that can be um, sort of configured in different ways in a classroom based on what they're doing. So if they're doing a traditional test, they could be lined up in rows. If they do a, um, small groups, you could you, they're on wheels, you can spin them around, make small groups. If they want to do a group discussion, they can be, you know, configured into circles. And it really gives the teacher a lot of flexibility. So at the time, the school was applying for um, a grant from the state and we, they asked us, if we get this grant, could we possibly fund additional classroom? And so that's what we raised our money for. And it was, um, we raised $20,000 the first year, and Paul Satchwell, who's an English teacher at the high school, has um, that configuration. Um, my son is actually in Paul's classroom this year, and he thinks it's pretty cool. <laughs> so we started with the flexible learning spaces. Again, that was the first year. And then we also, um, I think the very same year, um, we received um, a large donation from Andy Coors's estate when he passed away. So um, the school employees all get a life insurance policy through the school for free. And we didn't know, but he had named the Education Foundation as his beneficiary. And when he passed away very suddenly, then we received that money. And we wanted to do something with it that Andy was an alum at the high school that we thought that he would approve of and that would help students. And so. Um, the previous wrestling room, for people that are familiar with the high school, is now a bulldog center at the high school, and we donated, uh, donated the furnishings for that room. So that was sort of our next um, foray into the flexible learning um, pieces. And then we did several years where we did some classrooms for the intermediate school and for the primary school, the middle school, like all the schools kind of got touched with extra pieces. Um, several years ago, we um, converted a former classroom at the middle school into a new meeting space too. Um, and then last year, we, um, which was up till this year, and I have to say this year is my favorite project <laughs> yet. Um, last year, there was a classroom at the intermediate school, which was in the old Westwood wing, that literally had not been touched since the late 1950s. I mean, like, really? yeah, mm -hmm. like it was, um, they really just, as when they added on, they didn't really need it. And so um, they wanted to have 
a science, technology, engineering, art, and math, a STEAM lab. And we, the board, our board went um, and met with Principal Dana Cassidy um, and said, and originally she thought, oh, let's build another Bulldog Center meeting room. And then we were talking to her and she said, well, I really kind of have this dream project, but it'll never get off the ground. And we're like, well, we want to go see it. So we walked in the room. <laughs> Ashley, you were there. We walked in the room and we're like, okay, this is it. Like, we have to convert this to a STEAM lab. Mm -hmm. And so we did that last year. So now they have a dedicated STEAM lab at the intermediate school. Um, they rotate and they have class, uh, class in the STEAM technology every week. And then the Kids Discovery Factory, we love to kind of collaborate with people. They're going to come in and they're doing a new STEAM club after school. And so this whole like flexible learning thing has really kind of taken off for us. And it, it goes back to the point that education is not just about the curriculum, right? It's not about what they're being taught, but where they're being taught, the environment they're being taught in. And for us, a lot of people don't quite get that. They're like, oh, it's just desks and chairs. No, it's not. In fact, mm -hmm. I have a board member who's a board member now because her daughter was in one of the intermediate school classrooms the year that we donated those things, and it had such an impact on her daughter's learning because they had standing desks, and her daughter felt much more comfortable there that she reached out and said, I'd like to join the board. So the whole flexible learning space thing is, is really important. And so um, this year we sort of... Um, went a little crazy so I'm gonna turn it over to <laughs> Ashley to explain what this year's annual campaign project is yes so this year we um you know we were trying to decide what do we want to do we want to do something that the teachers <clears throat> the principals they can all benefit from and so we didn't want to make that decision we wanted to ask so we reached out and we said what is it that you're needing um how can we help dream big don't keep it small tell us your biggest dream and we'll see what we can do um <clears throat> since we have worked with some of the other schools more in the past we decided that we wanted to focus more on batesville primary school and uh when talking with brad stone king i i said you know what are, what are your needs and he said well we really need space we don't have we're at capacity here we don't really have much room to do a steam lab as much as we would love to have one of those we just don't have the area for it so we got to talking a little bit about how we can make that work. And um, we came to the outdoor learning classroom was originally what the plan was, <laughs> is just to do a classroom outside uh, to get them a little bit more space and to also get the kids outdoors and unplugged. Um, once we met with a, um, a Batesville parent who also does design work with context designs, uh, it evolved to a whole learning complex <laughs> and we are really dreaming big with this one. <laughs> yes. Okay. And this is middle school? The primary school. Primary school. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's pre-K through grade two, um, mm -hmm. about 550 students a year. Um, and so the plans are, um, so if you're familiar with the way that the primary school looks, it's the one with the blue roof. Yeah. It looks almost like a spider, like the little legs that come out. And so um, one of their areas that faces the high school, so on the west side of the building, is just grass. There wasn't anything there. Opposite that is where their playground is. So if you know where the playground and their garden is, so this is opposite facing the high school. And so we went over there and, and talked to Brad Stone King, the principal, and said, like, what do you think? And it got so, actually he did a survey of his teachers and like the music teacher was so sweet. She's like, I would love to take my class outside where I don't have to hear the air conditioner compressor <laughs> and hear the playground. Like it's hard to teach music. So we knew well that was that side wasn't gonna work. So we went to the other side and like I said, we worked with Greg Wade. Who 
who was um, so gracious to us and volunteered his and his company's time to build a, a storyboard. And so um, he he came up with this plan and it kind of evolved from let's have some seating outdoors to this complex that he has three different um, areas. So mm -hmm. it's going to have sort of an outdoor, what we would call like an outdoor gathering space or an outdoor patio um, with flexible seating in it. Then the second area is either he has like pergola covering, like just grass, but um, sort of a shaded area. And then an actual outdoor classroom is still part of it. Now it'll have a roof, but it won't have walls. It'll just be almost, I don't want to call it a park shelter because we don't want it to look like that, but it mm -hmm. would probably have a whiteboard in there and then additional patio seating. Um, there's going to be a sidewalk that the school is paying for because they would need that for accessibility purposes. And then um, they had asked us to include in the design um, a drop-down screen for family movie nights. So we added that in there too. Um, before COVID, I hate it that we all have to say before COVID, <laughs> but here we are. Before COVID, the primary school um, had uh, routinely had family movie nights in their gym where they would have entire families come in and do that. And since we were already building this outdoor complex, they're like, how cool would that be if we had them outside? Right. And so we added that, we threw that mm -hmm. in there too. We said, you know, whatever we're already trying to raise a whole bunch of money what's it you know okay, what's the cost so the total estimate um ready to drop your jaw is three hundred and thirty three thousand dollars um which is kind of crazy because the most that we've ever donated one year to the school is a tenth of that thirty thousand so um, when we got that estimate we knew that we were going to have to really kind of pull out you know all the stops and so i spent most of the summer writing grant applications the thing that complicates this matter um, is that since we are an education foundation a nonprofit that is also a grant making organization to the school we really don't qualify for state and federal grants because the school itself could could apply for those it wouldn't make sense right for the state or federal government right. to give us money and have us just pass it through so we've been applying to private foundations as many as we could possibly think of so um, so far we uh, we were one of the very first recipients of the new Hill and Brand partnership with possibility grant at the Ripley County Community Foundation so we we received ten thousand dollars from them um, I went before the City Council and asked for funds we have never asked the city of Baseville for anything before they gave us ten thousand from the Belterra funds and then we have $10,000 committed over um, the span of two years from the Fred and Jolene Rockwood Family Foundation. And so that's sort of our starting point. We do have a couple of grants out there. I'm not going to say who they are, but they're <laughs> out there. We're waiting to hear probably later this month or in October. We're waiting to hear back from them. I have a couple more on the radar for later this year to apply for. Right now we're raising funds from community members. Um, so every dollar absolutely counts. It does. Well, are most of your funds generated from corporations and, and other foundations? No. So I would say the majority, great, vast majority of all of our operating funds come from individual donors. Now, um, it, the community's... But why aren't you hitting up like Batesville to one Well, so we already asked them as a community sponsor. So what the community sponsorship program basically says is, and it's been very, very successful for us, is that we'll come and we'll ask you one time and what you give then sponsors everything we do throughout the whole year. I'm not saying that those people can't also donate to this. I think the other thing that we're thinking of is that 
Once we sort of know where we stand, say by the end of October this year, then we can revisit the plan and say how much of what we'd like to do can we do right now. And then perhaps, and this is what I said to the city, then we go to businesses in town and say, you know, you could you donate this part of it? So we kind of have to have a better grip on how much of it we can do before we could go to businesses and say, would you be willing to donate, you know, the steel for this, or would you donate the pergola? So right now we're not at the position yet right. of knowing how much of the whole plan we're going to do. But then I think that that's a good idea, Larry. That's on that's on our list. <laughs> that's on our list. <laughs> well, you, I don't know uh, if you. Did you happen to listen to my podcast when I had Lance and Rhonda Green on? I did not, but Lance actually used to be on our board, mm -hmm. so okay. I know Lance. Well, <laughs> I, I've known since we moved here, and uh, I knew Lance and Rhonda since they were teenagers. But anyhow, make a long story short, when they were, uh, they started out, and their first full year was 1977. And... Uh, Batesville, Toll, and Die then consisted of Ron Flutterman, his cousin, Doug Bessler, mm -hmm. uh, Lance and Rhonda in high school helping out, and uh, uh, Rhonda's mom. So anyway, you fast forward to 2023. They have a plant here, one in Mexico, one in North Carolina. Uh, 900 people working for them, and their revenue. When we talked there, they uh, their revenue plan for 2023 was going to be over 990 million dollars. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's and they're very community oriented. And they Absolutely. have been a long time um, education foundation sponsor. In fact, Jody Flutterman was one of the founding members yeah, of, of the board. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of our things too, that we've discussed as we've kind of planned through what our next steps are, since this is such a an costly venture that we're, we're looking to do is how we really can get our sponsors involved. And I know a lot of sponsors are willing to do so. They just need to know yeah. how, right? What do we, mm -hmm. what do we yeah. need? Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, uh, Lance and Rhonda, they mm. went to school there. Right, right, absolutely, <laughs> right. absolutely. And I think a lot of the businesses and, yeah, and you know, yeah. community members will want to yeah. see that the schools continue to thrive, and yeah. they have children, grandchildren that are going there, and so they want to be able to give and have a part in that. Well, with what you're doing, I'm, I'm trying to figure out with you being a nonprofit, mm -hmm. just like the chamber's a nonprofit, mm -hmm. and they're they really need a third person, but. They have two full-time people. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you full-time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's here's kind of the rub. So um, so, and I just would be transparent because we are. So if you would look up our 990 and see what our total cash balance is, we have quite a bit of money. But the issue is, is that. 95% of it is restricted funds that people donated for scholarships. Okay. And so we have given, I looked this up last night, $145,000 in scholarships just since 2017 alone. And so that piece mm -hmm. is That's really great. picking up, yeah. right? So what happens though is if someone passes away and they donate it, then we can only use that for that particular purpose. So it's the unrestricted part that really is the challenge for either expanding my position or adding even an additional part-time person 
person, you know, to maybe run social media and do some of the project planning is just difficult because we literally just do not have Ashley will tell you like we are such a lean organization like we reuse poster boards mm-hmm. foam cord we mm-hmm. don't and we don't even have an office so the storage for the foundation is at at my home um so that we are just a lean machine and and to some extent we kind of like it that yeah. way it makes mm-hmm. it kind of scrappy but you know the old man <laughs> gotta spend money to make money well and that you know and that is and that sort of is it i mean um so you know up I think that the board was really trying hard for the first about 10 years that they were in existence. And then when they hired me, um, I really came into it and said, and my husband's an attorney, by the way, he's a deputy prosecutor in Dearborn County. So I looked at it also from just the legal background and saying, okay, we need to spend um, the first year just trying to get people to know that we exist and like redoing all of our policies so a lot of it was just trying to figure out like what policies we need we need to set things up in a more formal basis and that's what happens i'm not blaming anybody but when you have a volunteer group and then you have somebody Mm -hmm. who's actually running it and so we've done that and so i we again we keep expanding what we do because we want people to understand what we do and the benefit that we provide i think the biggest challenge larry to being able to do what you're talking about is that it's the biggest thing that i talk about whenever i speak in front of a group is that people had this misconception that, oh, it's public education, they have all the money they need. And it, we have a brochure, it's on our website, if anybody's interested in looking at it, about how public schools are actually funded. And yes, we all pay property taxes, but the schools can only use those for very particular purposes. As far as like curriculum, staffing, all programming, that comes from a, a calculation that the state makes. And so Batesville's really good. If you look at their um, financials, they're very prudent with the way that they spend their money. But for example, this thing with this outdoor learning space. So when we went to Brad Stone King and talked about we want to do a steam lab, well, Brad's not going to say, okay, I'll just build a, build a room <laughs> on my school. I mean, like that would have to go through the whole process. And they're already doing a lot of renovations with the welding lab at the high school and all of that. So if we waited until the school system had the ability to do it. We're looking at probably, you know, five, 10 years down the road. And so that's where we can step in and say, well, we could bridge the gap. We like to say we bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the problem though, is you need unrestricted funding, one, to be able to do additional programs, and two, to be able to have additional staff. So we try to balance it with saying, and I, I we agree with you, and we are of that mentality of like, you have to be able to spend money to get more money in mm-hmm. but I don't want people to get the idea that we're wasting money because if you ask me ask any of our board members we are just super lean like yeah. we don't spend money and that's the other thing we don't spend money that we don't have so one of the things that we that I looked at when I first came into the job um, is that like what's the best financial position for us to be in and I decided right then and there as executive director that I did not feel comfortable with us having a budget for a year unless we actually already had the cash to spend. And mm-hmm. so that's what we do. So when we're raising money in 2023, I mean, obviously this annual campaign's a little bit different because that money goes for that project. We are raising money this year that we will spend next year. So, you know, you look at um, any of the news from the nonprofits that folded during COVID, and that was because they were literally working month to month. They, they did not have the money. They were counting on a grant that was gonna come in and that was gonna fund their salaries. I would never feel comfortable with us running it that way. And so maybe we're a little bit more conservative, but I think like when COVID hit, we were fine because we had the money, you know, we had the money, we could continue. 
And so does that kind of answer your question about yeah. more dollars? Mm-hmm. Everyone, please give more dollars. That's, that's, yes. my, that's my answer. Well, so, well, so kind of piggyback off of that. Um, we're lean, but when there is something that there's a need and it's a passion, um, we are going to try to do what we can to make that work at the yeah. school or for the teacher, or for the yes. student. Um, so we're lean, but we, we make things work yes. and we need the help to keep that happening. Yeah, we're just super, all of us on the board are super passionate mm-hmm. and for different reasons. Um, but again, we will step up, we will do what we need to do. Um, like the number of things that I do, that my <laughs> officers do, like we just keep adding to it. Um, because we see a need and we feel like, okay, well, this is what our organization exists for. Mm-hmm. This is what we're for. So we'll say, can we do it? Sure. Well, one, just a suggestion. Sure. We'll take any suggestions <laughs> you have. Uh, since, I mean, I, I never heard of the organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, prior mm-hmm. to, to, I think, getting a... It was from me because I yeah. sent the sponsorship yeah. packet in the mail. That's okay. something we're running into. That is, and we're we're working on that. <laughs> okay, now the high school obviously has a total alumni list. Oh yeah. Oh, don't. This could be an entire podcast itself, Larry. No. So what? the alumni list is really difficult to get because of privacy laws, and so we cannot. No, I didn't say get. Right. <laughs> okay. Why? Why couldn't? Whoever's in the alumni uh, guy at Batesville High School. They don't have one. That would be us. You're mm-hmm. kidding me. No. So we are officially the alumni uh, coordinator oh. for the school system. And so we have, so this has been, again, uh, this is my ninth year. Um, I can't tell you how many committees that have been set up over the years to try to garner all of these alumni lists. We are starting, and, and I tell you what, we have sent letters. We have, uh, every year when we have the 50th graduation class, we provide them with information. Um, anytime that I hear that somebody's doing a reunion, then we ask them, uh, could we please have their mailing list? There have been classes that have told us flat out, no, we won't give you the mailing list. Um, but Boy. I don't know. I, I'm I mean, not going to comment on that, but it's, I don't know. So, but, but for the, the last four or wait, five. Who in the class tells you that? Uh, some representative from the class. Mm-hmm. So most of the time it's a connection. Is he that, self-appointed? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, again. And, Get a and, new representative. That, and that, that is an issue that we've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that's really difficult is that. Because about technology, you know, my my dad is 96. He is a baseball high school graduate, okay? So when they have their mailing list, they have their mailing list. Because people are so mobile now, like their mailing list changed, their email addresses changed, and no one stops to say, oh, we should let the mm-hmm. high school know that. So then we lose a lot of people just through attrition because we don't know where they are. Um, but we have, and, you know, I apologize that you haven't known about us. We, when the uh, Herald Tribune was here, we were in there all the time. We tried to hit print media all the time. We're on social media all the time. Um, I'm on WRBI quite a bit. But again, it's one of those things that if it's not on your radar, mm-hmm. I think people can assume that we are the school. So, and that's, and that's sort of a problem. Um, and so we have tried, especially with my communications background, um, we have tried pretty much everything that we can think of, although we're doing really well. I mean, we have yeah. almost as many followers on social media as the school corporation has. So 
And we're yeah. working to get creative with how we can get out into the community and, the and do different rally. things. We did the parade also this was for homecoming and um, getting involved in that way. I think, um, you know, COVID put a damper on a lot of that. And so we're just trying to reinvigorate that community spirit and getting out there a little bit more and kind of explaining who we are and what exactly it is that we do. Because I, myself, as a board member prior to being a board member, wasn't aware. Um, you know, we would get the, the pamphlets in the folders or with mm-hmm. the papers. Um, I would look at it. It would leave my mind. I wouldn't think anything of it. Right. And so we're trying to address those types of issues and we're not going to reach everyone but we're sure trying to figure out different ways that we can reach people and help them understand what it is that we're doing and get them excited for it yeah because i i agree with your your original statement most people think public schools Mm -hmm. just gets all the money they Mm -hmm. want from the state they really do and i didn't honestly understand it till i got in the position either Mm -hmm. and then um asked a board member at the time who was a graphic designer to design an infographic and it's it's super helpful for people to understand if people want to go to our website and and see it but it explains how that funding works um and it's just a challenge to get people to understand why there's a need i think with like with anything else, right? Most of the time people give money to something that has personally impacted them or their family. And so that's why our big projects, we try to do a school-wide project because then people can see, you know, and what it was really neat when we, um, this spring, we had an open house for our intermediate school STEAM lab and, and our board members were there. And it was so fun to hear the students say, mommy, mommy, come see, this is this really cool STEAM lab that we have. Now, the student might not know that the Education Foundation helped make it possible, but we have a sign there and parents, they do get newsletters. So hopefully we're bringing mm-hmm. up you know more parents that understand that, oh, that's what the Education Foundation does. Um, we other thing we do, we talked about scholarships. Um, we do classroom grants twice a year. Um, teachers can apply what, for grants. For what for the classroom? Well, they can either be like um, a new curriculum that they want to try. It could be for materials that they need. Um, really, it's kind of whatever the teacher wants. And we give away a total of $5,000 twice a year. Uh, the principal has to sign off on any grant application. So, he, you know, the principals are aware of what the teacher is requesting. The other thing we do this also part of our grant program is I'm sure you're aware of who Bobby Brandis was. Bobby was oh, the longtime yeah, administrative assistant. Yes. So um, when she passed away, yeah. her her boys um Um, gave some money to the foundation for a scholarship but then they also gave some unrestricted funds back to the unrestricted fund thing um, so that we could develop a new grant program and um, once a semester we pick one of the four school buildings and we have what's called a students choose grant because we really wanted the students to have a chance and have a say so what they do is, um, depending what the school is, obviously the primary school students are not coming up with ideas. Well, they do well, they come do, up with ideas, but, but they're like, oh, like I was something that costs five thousand dollars. How about season tickets for their Yeah, angles. sort of, sort of like <laughs> a spaceship to go to space. Right. Yeah, it, but those are actually, yeah, the kind of things that we get. Um, so what they do, like it, at the middle school and high school, the student council is sort of in charge of. Um, curating ideas but then the student body votes it's really fun and so we've had some really fun things um last year um, when it was high school's turn they did um locker art 
and some amazing artwork by Max Balmer, who just graduated. He had the Statue of Liberty, and like he painted these things wow. on, mm-hmm. on the lockers. Uh, the primary school, they did, I don't even know, Ashley, do you know what it's called? It's like a basketball goal that has three different holes yeah, in I it. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. They're multicolored. Yeah, multi-color. They got, they're, they've been around for forever, but that's what they wanted. They wanted that. <laughs> um, so they, we've had a lot of different things. The middle school, this is one of my most fun ideas, they wanted pencil sharpeners. <laughs> You're a kid. No. They wanted actual, like, crank pencil sharpeners in every classroom. And we're like, again, we would not have thought of that, right? But the the student council came up with the idea, and the students voted, and they wanted pencil sharpeners. And it was so sweet. They sent us pictures of all the pencil sharpeners being Mm -hmm. installed. So, again, for me... Um, it's about giving the kids some ownership in it too. Sure. The teachers know what they want for their classroom, but let's give the students a say. So we do classroom grants. Um, we talked about the scholarships and the job fair. If you're familiar with the mural that's uptown um, on the Simons building, that's our project. And again, that was a board member who coordinated with two Batesville high school alumni. So Nick Maple and Jimmy Rowland. And so it's Nick's building, and Jimmy Rowland is a graphic designer. And so we have board members that work with the art teachers, and that rotates four times a year. The students are given our theme. Our theme this year ties in with our annual campaign, Outdoor Learning Space, which is called Learn Everywhere. And so then the students develop the artwork. Our board members vote on their favorite, and then Jimmy develops the mural. We pay him for that, and he puts it up there. One way, one comment on you know middle school last year I was uh, I was a guest speaker on Veterans Day. Yes. And I'm telling you what those kids are so well behaved. Mm-hmm. I mean for you know, just mm-hmm. sitting there and you didn't see them talking to each other. It just really really well behaved. Right. It's just, we hear that often with the school system. Just as a parent at other events how well-behaved our kids at our school system are and how respectful they are, oh. which I think is a testament to our community. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's not that way in the big cities anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> and, we're, and we're very, very fortunate here to have a community that believes in all of the groups mm-hmm. in town and backs them. I think that the whole vote for the yeah. high school grant last um, Friday was a, a good example oh, that of that. Oh. Um, I think it's just, it's it's really amazing. So um, I'm actually on the statewide board of the Indiana Association of Public Education Foundations. And it's so interesting for me to go to the conference and to the different board meetings because so many of these groups are in really large school corporations and I like to think that we're in a really good place yes is it harder for us to maybe raise we don't nearly raise the amount of funds that they do but if I need something if the education foundation needs something we know somebody who knows somebody and we can ask them to help I mean it's the the small town environment Mm -hmm. here is very supportive of everything that we do Um, again it's just for us to get the mission out more of the benefits that we're providing and that's one thing I, I did when I talked to the city is that, you know, if we have an outdoor learning complex, and I know that there are some schools that might have like an outdoor space or whatever, but nobody, I don't think, in our area of the state has ever envisioned what we're hoping to build. Again, it's another calling card for the community Mm -hmm. of, you know, we already have the Chinese immersion. We have um, the thing, the high school starting on their whole community connected approach with the Ford Next Generation Learning. And so this outdoor learning concept Um, I have six grandchildren, and I think to myself, you know, they don't live here. They live all over the nation. But if I had the opportunity for them to attend a school from pre-K to grade two, 
where they could spend part of their day outside learning. It's the whole, the whole technology thing is that we know that technology is here to stay, right? We're all we're on our phones. We have this great podcast with Larry, mm-hmm. but you know, we learned from COVID how much human connectedness matters, right? Oh, absolutely. And so we were lucky in Batesville that we didn't see the learning losses that a lot of school corporations do, again, because we're small. I remember having a conversation with um, Superintendent Paul Ketchum when they were talking about in the inner cities that that a lot of school corporations didn't even know where students were, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Paul said to me, I know exactly where all of my students are, mm-hmm. right? And so... It's that whole idea of the human connectedness. And so I think that we want to give the kids and the teachers, right, the opportunity to learn outside, to be hands-on, to connect. And our goal is that this is an unplugged learning space, right? So they might have a whiteboard out there, but our goal is for them to be working in groups, to be talking to their teacher. And the whole, like, awakening their senses, um, the one thing that I've really gotten into as we started on this project is the researching the medical benefits of this lowered blood pressure. Um, one thing that people don't understand, I talked to the, the baseball primary school counselor, like visits to her office for anxiety at the primary school really? are increasing every year. It's the incredible. Of anxiety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like she, she said, it's just like they have so many students that are there for anxiety and, oh. Pre-K to grade two, right? And so there's so much pressure on these kids, right? And so we're thinking... By parents or... No, but for the kids that they're anxious about, like they're anxious about their schoolwork or they're anxious about... I don't know. I think it comes, you know, I think there's some pressures from parents. I think there's just pressure from the world in general. They're um, connected I mean, to so much. At that, oh, yeah. Because they, they do have that connection. There are kids who are on tablets and iPads. They're plugged in constantly. They, right. And they're seeing certain things. And then that that just gets to them. And I, even from my own, my, my middle child, she gets a little anxious over things. And I notice it more when we've given her more time on technology. Yes. Um, so that's something that we limit at my house just because of that. And so I think all of it just plays such a role. Right. And I, we really, I mean, we knew we hear right with our job with the education foundation, we know that obviously high schoolers have a lot of like social pressure, middle school. Right. Mm -hmm. And the intermediate school, which is grades three to five. But I had no idea about the primary school. And so I I started to talk to the principal about like, oh, well, they're seeing a lot of like the societal issues that are at the older schools at the primary school. And I was like, what are you talking about? And so then I reached out to Claire Porter, who's their counselor, and said, like, give me some facts and figures. And so she showed me how, like, every year the percentage of visits, because she tracks how many visits she has to her office or counseling, like, what percentage of them are for anxiety-related issues at pre-K to grade two. And I was like, oh, gosh. Like, this helps Mm -hmm. us with communicating why we want to do this outdoor learning space. But again, like, um, it helps students who have um, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And I have a a child of my own who has that, right? So being outside helps to reduce those symptoms, right? The other thing I just found out a couple weeks ago is the studies have shown that when you take a class of students outside to learn, that impact of learning outside continues and carries on for the rest of the day, even when they go inside the classroom. So it is basically like reset their brains, is allowed them to focus, they're more focused, they're more engaged. And the other thing we found out is studies show that students who have some sort of outdoor learning experience have better academic outcomes. They score better on standardized tests and 
in the end, they have better academic performances. And we're thinking it's because you're creative, mm-hmm. you're in touch with nature, you have to interact with other people. And so here we are in little tiny Batesville and we're like, and this is sort of, this is sort of our motto. We don't care if we're in little tiny Batesville. This sounds like a really cool thing. Why don't we try to do this? Yeah, that's neat. You know, and the, the one thing I will say about technology, I, I you know, I, I think sometimes kids are given like iPhones and stuff right. too young. But uh, one with COVID, when mm-hmm. COVID came mm-hmm. along, uh, this coming Sunday, uh, I, I organized, we're celebrating our 70th grade school reunion. Oh, how fun oh, is that? Time. That's awesome. <laughs> that, there's not many of us left. <laughs> yeah, right. I so, get it. <laughs> but the thing that's nice about this, uh, I think there's three, three spouses. That, so we might have 12 out of uh, our eighth grade class was 61. So he might have 12 people class in there. But uh, the twins, one's in New York and her, her brother's in uh, Florida and a buddy of mine is in New Hampshire. They can't make it. So I'm setting, I set up a Zoom meeting. Right, yeah, absolutely. And, right. And so mm-hmm. for half an hour, they'll be able to talk to their former classmates. Yeah, right, and, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, so, and, and also... That Zoom has saved a lot of corporations money mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. years that they can maybe give to salaries instead right. of Absolutely. sending a, somebody from Indianapolis <laughs> to California right. for right. a meeting that's not a sales meeting, just a meeting. And, right. Yeah. yeah. So, and we definitely see the benefits in technology. Yeah. We, do we do a lot we with, do. you know, with the technology at the schools. Um, we just, we know that it can also be a detriment to younger ones when it's a consistent thing. Right. So we're just looking at those creative avenues to try to help. Um, you know, those formative years when they're so young, what can we do to help set them up for success now that's helping them to graduation and beyond? Right. Yeah, well, and, and again, you got Wikipedia, but you know, the only problem, I'm sure everybody <laughs> saw Wikipedia. What's really funny, when I, when I, when I wrote my first book, uh, I didn't have it professionally edited, and I didn't know about Grammarly Pro. But the second one I did. Mm-hmm. But any, anyhow, you can get on Wiki, Wikipedia with Grammarly Pro, and I'm thinking, geez, I know I made some grammatical errors. These people are really stupid. We'll forgive you, Larry. We'll forgive you. The editor in me will forgive you. <laughs> I think that Ashley hit a good point, and you know, I had a really um, open conversation with Superintendent Ketchman about this. Ketchum and I said. Um, like, okay, so one of the things we're going to talk about is that we want the kids to be unplugged. Like, the school corporation is providing them with tablets, right? Is that, what do you think about that? He goes, no, he goes, that's fine with us. He goes, because we know that we can't control what's going on in the students' lives 24-7, right? So we don't know what's going on before school, after school, right? Mm-hmm. So any opportunity that we can give for hands-on learning. The nice thing about this project, if we can do all the different parts, is we could get almost half of an entire grade level outside at the same time. So then, say you have um, second grade teachers that they want to do some different stations or whatever, then they could have four different classrooms out at one time and they could rotate, right? The other thing is, we know that 
teachers want to get outside too, mm-hmm. right? So we have a little YouTube video ad mm-hmm. that we made and it talks about how we're asking these students to learn how to read basic math facts. They're also learning how to navigate the school experience for the first time, inter- interpersonal relationships and all of that. So no wonder they have all this anxiety. Some visits. of them are learning another language. Some of them are learning mm-hmm. another language, right? The Chinese. Mm-hmm. And said, so, but then like, so some of them have trouble, like, let's just be honest, sitting still mm-hmm. and not going outside yeah. if they're okay. But the same applies for teachers. I mean, I think these teachers are dealing with these, the, our littlest learners, right, who have a world of different experiences and challenges than our high school teachers, right? And I'm not saying one's easier. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not. I'm saying it's just different. So what a great experience to be able to give our teachers the chance for a change of scenery and go outside on a beautiful day like today. They could take their mm-hmm. class outside to read a book or do a science experiment. Um, one of the things I've also been trying to find is funding for you know, obviously we build these spaces. Well, part of our um, estimate also involves some of the seating, but it does not involve like, what about the supplies they're going to need that like, if you've seen things like outdoor sand tables and water tables, we have all kinds of wonderful plans. And I've been trying to find funding for those things too. So all of those things that teachers could do that maybe they're not doing now because they're looking at their carpeted classroom going, "Mm, yeah, mm, no sand. (laughs) Right. But if we take the kids outside, then they can do that. So what are the opportunities? I like to look at it from as a parent, grandparent standpoint is what would I want my kids to have the chance to do? Mm-hmm. And like a lot of times on the weekends, if I want to read a book, where do I go? Mm-hmm. I go sit outside. Yeah. Right. And so why not provide that to our little, our little learners? Yeah. Well, you know, that's what, when I was a kid, I'd go to the library and pick up three books every weekend. Right. And I had, I had to walk about five and a half miles to the library to get a, but the the thing is, if you read, it's just like playing a sport. If you play above your original game, you get better at it. Mm-hmm. And if I was reading an adult books when right. I was a kid right. and got the vocabulary and the, right. mm-hmm. everything to go with it. But if I were the parents today of young kids, the first thing I would do is when 6 o'clock news came on, I'd send them out of the room. Absolutely. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. I know. It, all, it, you, yeah. all the media wants is a shock value, right. all the bad stuff. Kids don't need to mm-hmm. be exposed to that. No, and mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of one of the things that we're talking about is that, you know, we just want our, our students to to be kids, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. We just want them to be able to learn. And the thing that, that really drives me through all of this is that we just want them to be curious about the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't have to to be interested in the things that we're interested in, but find what your passion is and fi- and and mostly to just love learning no matter what it is. And so if we can get these kids outside and get them excited about learning. And again, that the wonderful thing about this is a pr- the question we get from um, funders when we have gone before them is, okay, so you're, we're, and we are going to be responsible for the, the construction. Like the school is not, we'll work with them, right? But this is a BCF project. It's not a school corporation project. They're like, well, who's going to handle the maintenance? And we're like, oh, this is where the great part is. Cause then the school will take over the maintenance. So, I mean, they, that's our and they, gift. That's our gift. <laughs> <laughs> right and, and but that's fine and so it's our ability to come in and say here's the need right and so we want to be able to provide that for students because we just feel like you know which matter which school we're talking about like what can we provide that helps kids get excited about learning and so the school will work out like what the schedule is and which teachers that again mm-hmm. like we don't get into the weeds with this we come in and say here's our gift enjoy it 
use it to the best of your ability. And then if you need additional things later, come back to us and we'll try to provide that. But we just feel like, I don't want to say it's like, we don't want to be old school, but we want to step back. And I think there's been a lot of conversations in society, right? Mm -hmm. Less conversations in society. I just saw some articles last week about how looking at the mental health crisis in junior high and high school and college students and how much it correlates with when technology really became Mm -hmm in our lives 24 seven. And is it time to step back and say that technology has a lot of benefits for all of us, right? Like you talked about connecting through Zoom and all of the things that you can do. And it, I think that there is no good or bad about technology itself, but mm-hmm. it's how we use it. And so maybe it's time for us to step back and say, especially with these little ones, because they've learned reads about how much attention spans have been limited right so can we go back and give them an outside experience that helps their brains reset and then you know i'm kind of excited to see like how this works out if it works out like is this something we want to do for some of the other schools and maybe not on such big scale Mm -hmm. because i think it's super important at the pre-k to grade two level but is there an outdoor space that we could provide to the other class the other um, schools because again all the medical benefits but i feel like if we can step in and say let's just step back a little bit Mm -hmm. let's see what we're doing and let's give an alternative and see how it works out well not only that when you have especially as the children get older in high school age and such if you're not out socializing and i i think every high school kid should have a part-time job Mm -hmm. because the if you'll ever notice uh, talk to Talk to a student who he grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. or he was involved in his dad's business a little bit, or, or flip burgers. The hardest thing for a kid who's just academically, you know, good book book smart, but practical judgment or common mm-hmm. sense comes along with age. Right. Because if you don't have any world experience, you have don't have a lot of common sense. Right. And the quicker that the kids can adjust to that socially, mm-hmm. the better off they're going to be. Right. Because uh, uh, in Cincinnati, I, we had a couple professors for neighbors. Oof. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he came over one day and said his son asked me to talk to you about changing the winter air and his tires and then about about he said he said something about antifreeze what part of the car is that oh gosh <laughs> right and this guy right <laughs> professor next you <laughs> right no and, and that's what we want to try to avoid we want the kids again i think we go back to the whole social interaction thing i know that that's one thing that we've been working with really hard on the um, job fair at the high school is we've done it i think this is our fourth we fourth year we had to take COVID off but like the first year the students didn't know what to ask the sponsors right so then we now we've learned like come up with like here's some cues that you here's what you can ask right some prompts and so again you have to like you said you have to practice those skills if we can start practicing those skills at the primary school right how do I work in groups how do I interact with my teacher and and I'm not saying that that those things don't happen in the classroom they do Mm -hmm. but if you move the environment to someplace different 
and all the focus, there's no technology, all the focus is on what we're learning, then again, if we can provide any of that to a student to help them kind of redirect themselves, helps the parents, helps the school system, helps the community. Are, are, mm-hmm. the, are the students instructed to turn their phones off when they come to class? Uh, it's a good question. I think I, it's teacher to teacher. I think it's teacher to teacher at the high school. My high schooler, I think it depends. I think at the very first day of school, they tell them no phones during class, or you can have your phones and you can be on them if things are done. Um, I think that depends. I don't know. I don't remember at the middle school what they did, and I don't know. Ashley, I can just, I can just my, my daughter at the intermediate school does not have a phone. That, so would, that would have been my answer at the intermediate school, yeah. too, but <laughs> not for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but again, I, I don't want to come across as us being anti technology because oh, we're not. not. I just think it's that we feel like there's a time and place for it, and especially with these little bitty learners. That, you know, if your brain is trying to learn how to read and you're learning about counting and you're learning about like, here's literally some of these kids of anxiety of what's for lunch today and Mm -hmm. what if I don't like the lunch, right? Like all those kind of things, right? So how can we provide them with an avenue that maybe resets their heart rate Mm -hmm. and their brain a little bit to calm down? Um, We're all for it. Um, and again, we will just kind of look and see, yeah. like once we get to about the end of October, cause we should find back about these other two grants. Like we say, okay, in 20 spring of 2024, here's how much of it we can do. Um, that's kind of where we are. And yeah. something that I think is really, I mean, I, I think it's exciting is some of these kids, technology parents them they go home and they are the tv's there or the computer that's all they know that's all they know they're not getting outside they're not learning so they're not getting these experiences that could help shape them for what they want to do as a future career even in preschool and kindergarten you have these experiences that eventually help mold you and shape you into who you are um so we're doing this outdoor learning complex it's providing them an avenue to get outside and to learn about things that they may not have otherwise Mm -hmm. and so who knows having this you know outside learning about the plants might you know help them realize a dream of doing something in that when they're older so it's just and that's you know that might sound crazy to some but it really starts when they're this young so it it really does so that's a funny story so my son that's at Purdue is graduating December he's a wildlife biology major and I will 100% tell you that that child loved outdoors and wildlife from the time he was just a toddler and I I have told people before that if this outdoor learning complex had been there when Lucas was that age he would have been all about it Mm -hmm. I mean and so not every student is going to end up going on wildlife biology but it's just the matter of you know it gives the teacher a different way to teach Mm -hmm. things right I was just reading some articles yesterday there are all kinds of websites out there for teachers to you know and we don't want our teachers to feel intimidated either right but there are so many resources for teachers of how do I teach math outside like because with the whole COVID thing too at least on the east coast a lot of schools went to outdoor classrooms like Mm -hmm. they just did that in fact there are a couple of schools that I know of that they have outdoor school all the time year round like it's an outdoor school mm-hmm. i'm not saying we're going to that no, <laughs> but, not, not with the weather. no, no. but we do <laughs> intend that i mean as long as it's not like super cold or snowing or sleeting like there's no reason they can't go out there when the weather's cold if yes. they go out if they can go out to the playground that mm-hmm. day they can go out to the classroom but to like ashley said some different ways to teach things and just to give kids who might not otherwise have the opportunity 
get them some vitamin D, mm-hmm. get them outside. The other thing I really want to touch on is that it definitely will be handicap accessible. And um, it will, we're going to have a fence that's going to go um, along the end of the building so the students will be secure. Because we do have students in, in the um, that school that have, you know, some sort of autism or other sort of learning issues. And we want to make sure they're safe. That's all, that's all fine. Um, actually, I just spoke to Tim Hunter at the school corporation last week, and we're hoping that the sidewalk for this will already get um, poured this fall and maybe even the first um, patio portion because they will have um, construction there because they're working on the welding lab so it kind of helps us out with mm-hmm. our part of the project so um, I figure that once the sidewalk goes in that means we have to build it All that's right. my that's my theory and so there's um, no excuses there's no that. excuses we have to move forward because the sidewalk is there and so that's sort of my story that I'm telling yeah. people well actually if the students and the parents all look at just the proper balance. Yes. You know, between mm-hmm. technology, yes. real world, keep the young kids away from all this crap on mm-hmm. television. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, my wife and I were talking about, we still do sometimes. When we were growing up, I mean, we got a black and white television, mm-hmm. I think, when I was 10 years old with rabbit ears and oh, yeah. three stations a day on. But, you know, if we used to listen to old-time radio programs, and, I mean, you had to use your imagination. Right, right. And I, I think and we still listen to those once in a while, but sure. I think kids miss that because everything's digital. Uh, some of these movies they make today, you know, everybody knows it's not real, but they make it look right. real. and. Yeah, yeah, that's why we don't watch many new movies. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, well, I'll tell you, we're um, we're up over an hour, about an hour and twelve minutes. I told you we could talk a lot when you asked me to do well, this. The thing is, well, I, there's a balance, and, and this is this is good. I mean, the the average podcast is uh, about between 30 and 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. None of mine are like that, but most mm-hmm. of them are because drive time's 37 minutes yeah. and yeah. 90% of 90% of podcasts are listened to on the radio. Well, people just have to drive farther yeah. or they have to right. drive to work and then <laughs> listen to the end and the way back. Yeah. And, and uh, our cra- we ha- I have a uh, whiskey tasting and beer tasting podcast also. and. Now, the beer tasting gets kind of crazy. I would imagine, imagine that so. one might that last a little like bit. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I wanted to ask you, said your husband's an attorney. Was his dad an attorney? No. Oh, okay. He was I, not. Okay. No. I just, and none of my children are attorneys. They <laughs> saw what he did, and they're like, mm, never mind. Yeah, I don't well, I had, a, I had all the Kellermans on with Amy Streeter. Well, actually, so, um, so my husband, Jeff, actually works with John Kellerman now because he's filling in part-time at Dearborn County also. And so it's a Batesville group down mm-hmm. there. Like, that's what I like to say. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well. Any words of wisdom before we close this out? I just want to give a plug for our website. So it's BatesvilleEducationFoundation.org. 
Um, if people go there, then they can, um, on the homepage, they can click and learn about the annual campaign. We say that we would love to have donations by September 30th, but I guarantee we will not turn them down if they come to us after that. <laughs> um, we do have a really handy online form, and we really reworked this last year. People can donate through Venmo, PayPal, credit card, like a lot of options online, or they can mail us a, a check. That's fine. Um, and then we also are on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, and we're on what used to be called Twitter, now called X. So we're on all of those platforms. Um, check us out. Um, again, send if you want, if anybody would like contact us, they could contact me. And again, that email address is awilson at batesville.k12.in.us. No, they're not going to remember that. Too bad. Actually, if they go to the website, which is baseballeducationfoundation.org, my email address is on there. And you're on the chamber also. Yeah, we are a member of the chamber, yeah. yeah. So, you do post there, don't We you? do. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. We do. I just want to say we're super excited about everything we do with the Community Education Foundation. Um, we are so thankful to the donors that we have and the new donors that um, are getting excited about the projects that we have. So, if anyone has any questions, um, please feel free to reach out because we're always happy and willing to talk about okay. anything and everything. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for being on the podcast. It's been very interesting. And uh, I think right now we'll close this out with the national anthem. Let's see here. Okay, I want to thank everybody for listening. God bless you. God bless the United States of America. And I will talk to you on the next podcast.